I like how Rich does this like fake smile at the beginning. You don't have to do that, Rich. Welcome, everyone, to episode 57 of the Light Shed Podcast. I'm Brandon Ross, along with Rich Greenfield and Walter Pysik. And do they I think do it on the Discovery us, Channel? All Brandon. of us were dying to use that song this week. We actually sang it at the beginning of our interview with David Zaslav with um, that we did earlier this week, which I think was probably a little bit. Um, unprecedented how, how many animals and someone sang it to him yeah like first of all how many people do you think like see david and sing the discovery channel song probably you, I, I wonder if he's actually heard the discovery channel song that's what i'm curious we should have asked him what. he didn't he didn't seem that engaged um when, when uh walt started singing it i think he was on his phone texting that I, I was wondering, I don't, I don't know if you guys noticed throughout the interview, which, and thank you very much um, to the people at Discovery for getting that done. And a lot of people enjoyed it. But one thing I did notice was he kept, he kept texting and I was like, are we really boring interviewers or is somebody like, Hey, David, you know, say this or say that. No, I don't think, I don't think it was the latter because I think David just kind of said what he wanted to anyway. I think it's our miss for not calling him out and be like who the fuck are you texting yeah <laughs> yeah so that's like, I, we apologize to our to our it's like whoever was did, on that that we didn't or, call or was it like david did, did you like forget to do the dishes or something <laughs> <laughs> this is like maybe he was getting offers on his apartment yeah. <laughs> <laughs> his broke his broker was in touch i did find that to be completely amazing that they Maybe the whole thing with it being negotiated in the townhouse was that was a way to get it sold. That was was a a PR stunt. I think I actually think it was negotiated in the Hamptons. Right. And there were spottings um, of David in the Hamptons last weekend, including seeing uh, Jeff Bucus, which was completely, you know, not planned um, from our understanding. But um, it's it was just all PR that it was done in the townhouse because suddenly the thing pops up on the market three days later. It's amazing. It's an amazing story. It's either an amazing story or a lot of coincidences. Nonetheless, it was an exciting, exciting time. The, I saw, I guess I was like watching TV or something, probably not discovery channel um, in bed. And I got the alert about, from Bloomberg about the deal. And the first thing I did was I was like, holy shit, Rich is going to be so excited about this. So I texted the group. This right? is at 9am in the morning on yes, Sunday. 9am. Okay. So late in the morning on Sunday, I text the entire group, no response. Then I'm like, oh shit, I better call Rich. So I call up Rich. He doesn't pick up. I call him again. He doesn't pick up. So I'm like, fuck it. I'll just tweet this out. Next thing I know, I get a retweet from Rich and then a reply to my tweet. And I text Rich back and I'm like, um, so 
you don't check your text messages or pick up your phone. You only respond on, on Twitter. He's like, Oh, I just saw it. Uh huh. Yeah. So for, I mean, we've said this in the past, if you want to reach rich Greenfield, tweet at me. Just well, actually, Brandon, remember there was time we were on a Zoom with someone and like he tweeted during the Zoom and I replied back. Can you please pay attention to the Zoom that I, we're on? Yeah, I guarantee you he'll put up five to seven tweets during this podcast. He does every week. I mean, honestly. But you know what, Rich? You're the Zaslav great, can, you're the great multitasker. Maybe Zaslav was tweeting during our interview. I don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think David knows how to use Twitter. Does he? I, he, everyone doesn't everybody have a, a you know a secret Twitter like I think most um, executives probably do. No, only remember this the six the Sixers the Sixers and Russell Brand is that who it was? No, it's Russell no, who, Brand. No, no, who he's was an it? actor. You're talking no, it was the wife of the, it was Brand. the wife of Elton but it Brand. Was, it was like Colangelo. Colangelo's, but it was right? his wife, or he blamed tried to blame it on he his tried wife. Tried to blame it on his wife. Did his wife divorce him after that? I don't know. I would if I were that was her. great. So Come let's jump into the big subject of the week, obviously, which was discovery. What was and, the big subject this week? Well, I, look, the, 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 the crazy thing is not that Warner Media is getting spun out of AT&T. I mean, I, I think, Brandon, you said it was going to happen within three years. I think yes, that was your original I did. prediction. That's right. I actually I mean, had bets lined up, of course, not for money. Um, but I said within three years, um, this would be spun back out of, and this AT&T is two and a half years capacity. if we're checking. No, it's it's actually, I think two. It it was like three, two years, eleven months, and two weeks or something. So I went back to said person to collect um, on my bet, and was told, well, this isn't going to close until <laughs> <laughs> for for another year. I was like, uh, I think I won this fucking bet pay me uh-huh. but i think you won brandon yeah i i, I think won. i won anyway but, but, I, but the, well, the, the the but the thing is is the winning part of it, it it wasn't like you know everyone's sort of like looking at this as like industry transformational and like a huge event and it's like time warner the old time warner before at&t just acquired the discovery channel that's right like, I mean, I don't want to downplay it, but it like if, if you look at it through that lens, it's like it's transformational standpoint of yet another vertical integrated deal collapsed, collapsed. Like, and that's again. that's the thing we said. And this is why the bet in the first place. I and I think all three of us have always been aligned on this vertical integration in media simply does not work. I figured that out when I was an investment banking analyst in like 99, 2000, 2001, whatever those years were. I was working on the like or assisting on the AOL Time Warner deal. And I remember asking Christina Moore, like who ran my group. I was like, why does this make sense? I literally didn't understand like naively. <laughs> and, and you know what and, I was, and what did she, what did she say? Just shut up, Brian. It doesn't make sense. Just do the pitch book. No, you know what she, she told me. <laughs> You're a terrible analyst, but maybe one day you'll make a great senior banker. <laughs> uh, that's hilarious. I I remember that conversation. It's 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 pretty funny. I I mean, look, we didn't think this would this made any sense when the DOJ was looking at it. I was like, maybe naively again. I was like, why is the DOJ looking at this? We can't even figure out what the you know, 
real synergies are. In, well, in the, the amazing thing, right, is they had the opportunity. I mean, remember, the DOJ wasn't upset about HBO. Like when we went through all the work to explain why this deal was going to close and no one believed us that this deal could close and get approval and why they'd win the court case. But they were offered the option to sell Turner because Turner was the asset that the government was most upset about. Like they could have gotten out of Turner. They could have gotten dramatically smaller. Or they could have spun off DirecTV. That was the other option, which they're now obviously are spinning off. They're, like they're doing, they're doing it all right. right. And, and like I guess before <laughs> they realized the folly, um, and you have to give them yeah, but, credit. Like it only took them, it only took them two years and eleven months to, to <laughs> figure it out, and they didn't double down. But why, Walt? Like was now the time. Well, first of all, let's just do a little history on that, too, because as you recall, Macon um, at the time was the one pushing for them to Macon Del Rahim. I'm sorry, the former um, head of the DOJ antitrust division was pushing for them. You know, we did a couple of light shed premium access with Macon saying like, look, like I gave them this option. This is what they should do. And and I, not surprisingly- On a tray, like on a platter. On a like tray. Literally and on not a platter. Su- so not surprisingly, um, he was in the press this week also saying like, told you, do, doing the old <laughs> told you so. Um, by the way, Annie Lippman and, and, and many other consultants at the time were saying that that deal wasn't getting done. So let's just take a quick one that, that you know, we were right about that one getting approved um even though yeah well like why wouldn't it be approved that right, was that was the whole thing was it crazy, was idiotic but, but the consensus <laughs> view that it wasn't for whatever reason i guess it was just well, know, it was so trump. trump it was yeah. trump and yeah. and the idea that anything trump wanted to do at the time like he just made happen he look there is a there, there's a everyone tries to think that they can do the impossible Right. Like they can change the rules of the game. I remember, you know, like if you think about the concept of this very early on during like when the deal was first announced, Randall Stevenson was on stage. I think it was a I think it was a Wall Street Journal conference and he was talking about changing the bundle. And they announced sort of this launch of a really cheap bundle. And they they had all these aspirations of like a sports list bundle and changing the economics of the business. And I remember like going up to him at the HBO Max Analyst Day and saying, what happened to the sports list bundle? Like what happened to being able to like, you've already raised the price of right. at that time. It was called direct TV now. And like people try to change the business and it's just like, there is just the way this business is built. You can't just like turn a knob and all of a sudden like bingo, it's That's like a right. new business. It just doesn't work like all, that. all sorts of entanglements, legacy yes. infrastructure. I think the word of the day, well, I'm you say just nailed it. Again, no, no. Legacy naive. entanglements. Well, no. But it, like he, they were, yeah. they were naive to the no, impact. First of all, I think you, I think have. I think you were believing too much of the bullshit at the time and the narrative at the time. And with telecom providers and even cable codes, there's always some bullshit narrative. The reality was it's all focused on the dividend. They bought Directv because yeah. they needed free cash flow for the dividend. That thing fucking fell apart quickly. This was diversification to help to kick the can down the road of the dividend. And why is this happening? Same fucking answer. It's the dividend, right? Because they're looking at this and saying, holy shit, this C-band spectrum costs us a ton. Verizon and T-Mobile are investing in 5G. Like, we're looking at that dividend where, you know, if media continues to erode, which it was, like, our coverage is going to get tighter. 
Um, like, look, it wasn't going to be happening right away. But the problem was the way companies like this got around or basically kicked the can down the road in the dividend is they bought more. But you can't buy more if you're if you bought everything until you're up to the fucking gills in assets. So now they had to go the other way. So this was like they cut the but dividend. Why, no, no. But why eight weeks ago? Well, like, because I think this transaction. Hold on. T-shirts. No, no, but hold on. It's the dividend, stupid. And because that's this, it. Right. Exactly. Yeah. That's a great point. So why? Because the C-band auction just happened. Yeah. And, and they just and the bill came through like, you know, I don't think it was like eight weeks ago. I mean, you can believe whatever narrative you want, but like, I mean, the reality didn't, is- it, didn't they um, like, didn't they? We know we have friends um, who were in the town hall meeting when when Stanky discussed the transaction. And apparently he said straight up the price of the C-band auction was higher than they expected it to be. And I mean, that's not the single the reason that this happened. It's also the media, one of the you, reasons. Right. You know, yeah. the media business is tough and it was just kind of a, yep. it's still odd, right? To go through that amount of pain um, and brain damage to get this thing done and having to deal with Trump. And then that quickly thereafter, you know, basically, you know, throw, throw in the towel. Well, and the other thing, like fell, fell fast is, is like, and, and, but, but Walt, the reason that's right. so important is just that, this isn't about the strategy under Jason Kylar failing. It's not like this. The strategy, actually, HBO Max, we talked about on the podcast last week. That, that's it's the actually crazy was working. Thing. Was it last it's week actually was starting before we were we were going through the sub numbers and we were like, oh, everyone sucked. Yeah, but in every HBO, podcasts, HBO strategy is starting to to work on every one of these podcasts that we talked about this. I was like, look, dude, C-band auctions big. And you're telling me they have to write big checks because Disney's writing big. Everyone's writing big checks. Like something, something's, something's got it. So one other thing though is like part of the narrative, getting back to bullshit narratives, is to lay this all on Randall's feet. I mean, look, Stanky was there during this. I remember talking to, to John about oh, the Directv deal. It's let alone this one. that he's trying to he not lay this completely it. on. With that said, he deserves a lot of credit for being like, all right, yeah, maybe I like you should maybe take button. yeah, maybe take more responsibility for being part of those deals. But like we will give you credit for saying, like, all right, this is not fucking working. Working and, and getting and getting money. the fuck yeah. out. So let's shift from ATT to what this new Discovery Warner asset looks like. And are well, and why, why the stock you, goes Rand. down every day. Stock's going down well, every we day. Well, we know we could get, we could get into that. Uh, I guess it's interrelated, but Rich, what do you think about the ability for this company, the newly formed company to compete with Netflix or even Disney and Amazon who are kind of like second tier players to Netflix and what the long-term prospects are here? Look, there's no doubt that being standalone, not having to worry day to day about the dividend is a good thing. That's certainly a positive. Now on the flip side, five times leverage starting in 12 months. So, you know, a year of waiting with executives leaving and uncertainty, then a massive integration effort with people getting fired and a lot of duplicate overhead and having five times leverage is not exactly, you know, I think that's what the street is worried about is, you know, being in that position is not going to be easy to fight Netflix, to fight Disney At that point in time, there's a lot of reasons that the cards are stacked against them. I guess the first thing that you brought up was leverage five times leverage. I mean, look, there is some predictability to the business because of its legacy, you know, (laughs) like cable and like the legacy cable network business, which is still 
the predominance of the combined company. Let's not forget that. So declining, but predictable cash flow there. Um, but when you're going up against these really large companies and you're, you need to be able to spend, you need flexibility in spending. There's more probably than there was under AT&T where you had to worry about the dividend. But I mean, David was trying to kind of thread the needle, I thought, in our conversation with, we're going to be a big free cash flow generator, yet we're going to you know, invest in content and have this really big content budget. Well, well, you, and by you sort the way, of have David, to say, well, you have to say free cash flow when you have five times leverage because you have to I pay know. down debt for two I know. years. Like, I know, you know, like, and, and in that, what he doesn't realize is that when investors think about the story, and you saw this with Disney, what makes Disney stock go up? Subscribers. What makes Disney stock go down? We saw it this last quarter subscriber outlook that's the game yeah. that you just signed up for now david and it's going to be hard to play that game with investors with five times leverage and you shouldn't probably be out there you know talking oh we're going to generate all this free cash flow that's not even that's not even what investors want to focus on right now they, they want, want to see, to see the subscriber see, numbers explode they want to see subscriber numbers go up they want to see a lot of new content on the platform a really good um, strategy for for building out the bundle that you have and your global go to market on it. Well, I'm I'm That's putting it. a stake in the ground. I'm putting a stake in the ground in the podcast. Next summer, Discovery Plus will not exist. That's the bet. That's Discovery Plus will be shuttered and folded into HBO Max. I mean, That's, That's not going That's too much of a. That's what should happen, though. I yeah. think that I think that's the right move, right? And what Brilliant. is I was going to say, I think part of just just to defend David a little bit, it, it might have been that he was just kind of being responsive to the fact that we kind of hit him a little hard in terms of like, look, the media, your stock and basically media stocks have, haven't done much since 2013. Right. And that kind of got into talking about like, well, I can cut more costs than Stanky did and generate free cash flow. But I hear you. But I, but I think like a guy, you know, someone like that, a legacy media guy. I think they know how to spend money. <laughs> so I don't, I'm not sure I'd worry about him investing. I think it, it might've been maybe playing like, again, the narrative playing to the audience of what he thought the audience wanted to hear. But I think he'll learn soon enough to your point that the audience doesn't necessarily give a fuck about um, the free cash flow and that type of stuff. And they want, they want subs and investment and that type of thing. Beyond and servicing I, the leverage, the debt. I, I just too. want to digress they should for a be second. Lever, actually. I want to just shift gears a little bit to NBC because we wanted yeah. NBC and Warner Media to merge. Yeah. That was our big call last October. Yeah, the press like the started Discovery Warner. Like, like, like. Let's just level set. All it does is the the jewel asset here, right? Is is still the Warner. Warner is Warner and HBO, right? What di if you look at it that way? Discovery just adds bulk to their bundle. That's it. I mean, look, Discovery won the lottery. This is like, in no way did they ever expect this was possible. So if you're a Discovery management team, this is like winning. And the, it's, and it's, and it's a bailout. trifecta. And it's a bailout. Am I wrong? For, no, no, it's like figuring out a solution where there was. Plus. Absolutely. But if you're NBC, this was your shot at making Disney. NBC, you and Warner was making yeah. a Disney. The closest thing to it. Now, I already get the sense from 
you know, folks at Comcast NBC, it's like, well, we could still do this in a couple of years. Like we could still merge now with, you know, with Warner Media and Discovery after they've merged. The problem with that is, My goodness. Two, uh, a, you know, this this transaction is going to take deals? a year to close, a year to or a couple of years to delever. Then if you want to merge with them, then it's a year of approval <laughs> and then a year of integration. So you're like four to five years into the future. And it's like Netflix it's, and Amazon and Apple and Disney. They, they, they just they just they just keep going and they they have. Right? right. And we'll talk about some of the, you know, the things that Netflix probably may be thinking about for next. Right. But right. go back to what Stanky actually said about why he thought this didn't go that well. And he keyed in on HBO Max and said it was delayed by the fact that they had to go through closing. Then they had to go through integration. Now you have the exact same thing happening again. And then Comcast is talking about, oh, well, we'll just, you know, do that later. And then it's a third thing. And by the way, there's a human element um, to companies. This is all isn't like theoretical in the ether. There are people who don't want to deal with the bullshit of going through multiple deals and multiple integrations. It takes a toll on people's lives and worrying about, am I going to make the cut? Am I not going to make the cut? At some point, they're just like, fuck this. I'm moving on. If they do that, and they're still waiting for a year to get the Mars Trust approval, which is really the the you know long tent in the pole. Yeah, the, the, the deal, forget the right this, thing, you but... just brought up um, the reverse Morris Trust, which was the structure in this deal. The right deal was a double RMT of NBCU and the Warner asset. Well, you know, you lever, you yeah. they could have levered up um, Warner, paid out the dividend and done a 50-50. But 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 the answer is but the, the the answer, Brandon, is the perfect segue to our next slide because this all relates to one thing of why this deal, why this structure is because Brian Roberts and Comcast were never going to give up control of NBC Universal. Yeah. Whereas John Malone That's gave right. up John Malone and the Newhouse family had superpowers at Discovery. They gave them up. They realized Superpower. they had yep. look. They had crappy. I mean, in the, in the scheme of things, they were not. They were fine. They were going to generate cash. They were going to subsist for a long time, but they were never going to compete with Netflix and Amazon and Apple and Disney. And so it was probably a pretty easy trade for John Malone and Newhouse to go, hey, we'll bless this deal. We'll give up super voting control. But, um, you know, in order to turn Discovery, which they never thought could turn into Warner Media, but the, the, the sort of the casualty of war, I think, in very many ways is Jason Kylar because. The ask from Malone, the ask from Newhouse, was that the Discovery it, management team would lead this tr- company. Well, I think the whole – a couple of things. One is that also like says something about like family control at Comcast and how much of their strategic decision-making is rational versus you know wanting to <laughs> control a lot of assets, especially Hollywood assets. Um, so that that has to be said. Um, but like ult- ultimately, you know, Malone was a completely rational actor oh, um, on, it, on, on this deal. And the, then, the art of the deal, the art of the yeah, deal. Beautiful. And then, and then talk about um, Jason. Look, I think there were some really amazing things about what Jason was doing. I think that you needed somebody who could bridge the gap between San Francisco and and LA tech and media, however you want to put it. Um, He did some things that were disruptive, 
But I think at the same time, just from talking to people over there, I think he lost the confidence um, of, of a lot of people, executives, whatever, at Warner who were just really old school and weren't comfortable with some of the trees that he shook in upsetting talent for a period of time, for instance. It shows and you how hard it is to, is to, to change move this DNA. Industry. Yes. It's That's really ultimately hard. what it says. And an outsider came in and, you know, uh, he, and, uh, he, he got whacked and here, I'll put up my soprano. How's this? <laughs> That's perfect. <laughs> That's basically well, what happened. Here's Tony with his gun for those, um, who are listening. Podcast listeners. But maybe as we but maybe as we think about sort of like the last piece of this is like, okay, so this was about the dividend. This was about broadband. Sort of where does this leave AT&T connectivity wise? It changes the landscape for them. The leverage is way down what they've cut, basically cut the dividend. So there's not concern about being able to invest and and impact in the dividend. So it changes the landscape in the wireless business. They can buy more spectrum in an upcoming auction. They can invest more aggressively. They've increased the number of pops that they're going to do and the population coverage in, in 5G and even on the fixed side. I mean, fiber is going to be a bigger thing, I think, going forward here. I mean, you've got... Meaning digging trenches and laying fiber to neighborhoods. Well, upgrading DSL and UVerse, which they've been give, you know, giving share to cable on those things. So upgrading them to fiber to the home in many more homes. So, And fiber is the preferred, like the penetration rate you see when people invest in fiber. Another one, Frontier. Ironically, Frontier was what Verizon had to sell in order to um, pay for their last spectrum purchase. Now Frontier is the same thing where they're going to invest in fiber and it's going to be harder for cable, I think, to compete on, on those fronts. So it changes the wireless landscape. It, it enables AT&T to continue to be aggressive in terms of upgrading phone. And it, I think, makes potentially on the on the broadband side things more competitive for the highest end users. So that's one side of the bell curve. We're now like, okay, if I have a fiber to the home choice versus DSL, that's a change. At the other end, we had another interesting data point this week from our friends at Starlink, which again, not to point out, not not to say that Starlink is going to compete with cable. We'll never say that, rural, yada, yada. But, you know, if someone that follows me on Twitter sent him the, his, with his Starlink test, 324 megabits down, 34 up. And I don't get 34 up, Walt. Rich, you've, Rich we've had <laughs> issues with you and Zoom all week because your uplink is terrible. And the ping on that 39 milliseconds is basically like a cell phone. So like, okay, it's again, to, to point out like a Malone would say, well, you know, our, or uh, not Malone, excuse me, um, Rutledge would say, you know, the speeds are so fast that this is never going to compete. And like, again, that is not part of the Starlink business model, but it's hard not to look at something like that and have a very frustrated cable customer getting two or three or four or five mega, megabits per second of uplink. Yep. Um, which Rutledge seems to think is, you know, not a big deal for, well, for their users. We know it matters. Why do we know it matters, Walt? Because we see Rich pixelating <laughs> every week on his shitty cable ISP. It does make you think, though, if I just step back for a second, Walt, and, and go, you know, Comcast is vertically integrated. It obviously doesn't really create any value, no matter what they think it does. And they're still using an MVNO. I don't even it, know if it, they think it. It, but if, if, if but if, if but if AT and T does get more serious about investing in fiber and improving their five G, what is the what will be the next step that Comcast like? Can they live forever on an MVNO? Can they you know 
wireless like, side of things. I mean, look, yeah. I mean, does it change? Does it change Comcast? I guess is the question over the next few years. They can use CBRS spectrum to help to improve margins. Um, but look, they have to go. The wireless market is much bigger for cable to go after than whatever share Verizon can get with like wireless um, 5G. But but the point of this has always been like, I'm building, an, if I'm Verizon, AT&T or T-Mobile, I'm building all of this spectrum out anyway because of my big ass wireless business. But it's also at the same time enabled me to potentially eat away at some of the broadband business. And while it doesn't add a, a material amount of revenue to the big, you know, the overall thing, it's like, why not? And it's coming. So these days of old were like people wouldn't get into each other's markets. Sorry, that ain't happening anymore because they're going to invest in each other's markets and go after each other. Now, the 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 other part of Time Warner this week was there was our sorry Warner Media this week was we're an upfront week, and you know we've been hearing about this for a long time. I think our friend Alex Sherman actually broke the news about the nine ninety nine price point like a month ago for HBO Max. There was a couple of interesting um, data points, but I want to play the video first because there's this one segment where they sort of announce formally the ad-supported version of, of HBO. So let's just listen in. Speaking of game-changing, HBO Max with ads will be just that. Through its 40-plus year history, HBO's brand has stood for the ultimate in quality. Now we're setting just as high a bar for advertising with HBO Max with ads. Through a best-in-class ad experience, we are committed to having the lightest ad load in the streaming industry coupled with the most premium content. Plus, we are introducing several new ad formats, including pause ads and branded discovery designed to be native and endemic to the way our customers use HBO Max, with more ad innovation to come as we test and iterate with our valued partners. We have already... Okay, I know I, I see Rich's face. Uh, no, so I'm gonna, I, I, I just want to say what's no. going to happen is Rich is going to jump in and make fun of the ad formats. I will say this, though, and this gets back to the Jason um, discussion, right? Jason was a pioneer in video advertising. The stuff that he did at Hulu um, was pretty amazing. And it was groundbreaking, was, and truly was groundbreaking. groundbreaking, and replicated for many, many years to come. And they are losing Jason as they embark on this this ad supported HBO Max. Look, look, I just think like the funny part is, it's just like I don't think there's anybody who has HBO Max who is going. God, I would love to have all of the content you know, that is non-HBO be filled with ads. And yes, it's only five minutes and yes, it's going to be targeted and all of that. But, you know, I just worry the end, the end result of jamming ads in is going to be less time spent. It gives you a reason to, you know, it just gives you pause moments, you know, those moments of like losing engagement. And I think Hulu certainly suffers from it. And I just worry from that standpoint that it just sort of eats into the experience. I'm sure it's going to be better. The lower price point of 10 versus 15, I'm sure is going to be a plus. Although what was interesting is that they're not going to do the same day theatrical releases that you're seeing. Like when Matrix comes out, the ad supported tier will not have the Matrix day and date. Uh, It'll only happen later on. So it's interesting how they're trying to bifurcate. Obviously, they're killing the 45 or they're going back to a 45 day window. So I have no idea what this actually means longer term. But at least in in the near term, it was interesting of how they're sort of creating those two separate 
um, tiers of service for same day theatricals. I don't know. I just thought it was funny that like the, the innovation is things like pause. I, it, I, which, I knew had, I saw your face when they yeah, said pause just, and you just chuckled uh, to yourself. Yeah. It's just, it's just hard to have like, it, I don't know what even innovation in ads means in 2021. Like I, it's not even obvious to me, like what the innovations are. I mean, we'll see. It's also worth noting Linda Yaccarino should get a shout out. Um, Peacock only has five minutes of ads per hour, I believe. So I'm not sure the low. Right, just, but just rich. You know that ad load's going up because remember when Peacock started, they were like, okay, we're going to have a limited amount of sponsorship and advertising, limited number of partners. We're going to do that for a couple of years and then see how it goes, right? But in that video clip, didn't he say that that's the lowest amount of ad load, but you're just saying it just matched what Peacock does? Yes. Peacock, if you would have, if I I could have played the Peacock Peacock launch video. Yeah, but I can't, I mean, Peacock provides a very low bar for making better ads, as I've said many times in terms of it's probably the largest oh. user of Peacock on here. You are um, by far probably by a factor of like 10. It's it's not going to be hard to improve upon that. So the other there was other media M&A news this week. It's hard to sort there of was. get off of this topic. Well, maybe news. I mean, MGM has supposedly been for sale, Brandon, I think for I the last know. four or five years. Insane. But I mean, it's trans. I mean, I still, you know, remember when, back when I was at Goldman, MGM changing hands Rich, multiple times. every year in our top, you know, how this year, 21, whatever year it is, top whatever, MG, we're predicting MGM is going to get bought by somebody. We hadn't had Amazon in there yet. Who did we, who did we have for this year? Uh, we had Comcast buying or Com- NBC Universal Com- buying and, MGM. And, and NBCU. Who did we have last year? I think I don't, I don't even remember. You know, so this is the point is this has been going on forever. Maybe there's finally a deal. Maybe there's not. What do you think? And well, I, I and would does say it two matter things. to Amazon. It, this does feel real, right? Like Jeff Blackburn's coming back to Amazon. I've talked to a bunch of people in the industry. It, it, it feels like if you think about we talked about a few weeks ago on the podcast, Amazon stepping up and buying Thursday night rights like Amazon seems to be getting very, very aggressive in media. So this would be another bold move to get a lot of catalog. Potentially, if they've cut a deal with the Broccoli family, they may be the home of Bond. Maybe they build a Bond universe around it. Obviously, Amazon is building into games and other things like with Twitch and others. So maybe there's more to this beyond just the entertainment side of it or the the movie side of it. But But I'll tell you, like it just, if I think about Amazon overall, I'd say that Amazon has sort of been underwhelming from the content. Like we don't really talk about what show you watched on Amazon. Like Walt's probably watching more Peacock lately than he's watching Amazon. Like, so maybe this is sort of an acknowledgement that they need to sort of like jumpstart the Amazon content engine and just do more. And look, it is a big catalog. A lot of it's been licensed out. It'll take time to get back, but it wouldn't shock me if this is where they go. Yeah, I look, I think that the biggest thing at Amazon is they have a lot of how, how do I put not niche, but smaller appeal, even if high quality um, content on the platform. Right. They have tried to do things um, like like um, not Game of Thrones. Oh, my goodness. Uh, Lord of the Rings. Lord of the Rings. This is the third time this week I you forgot. The third Jesus Christ, <laughs> Lord of the Rings. I think Why I is it so hard to right. remember? So, right. So they've, they've tried to do Lord of the Rings. I don't know what is happening 
um, in that development, but this has been going on for years. They keep spending money. They, they, they don't have that really big, bold hit yet. And, you know, the Bond franchise allows them to bring that on. And then there's a lot of derivative plays um, that they could do off that. So we've always advocated building versus buying in terms of studio and, and doing video. But maybe because they need that hit, they need to just go and buy it. Walt, new spectacles. What do you think of the look of these? Does this look awesome, Rich. I would definitely wear something like that. Oh, actually, I, mean, I, I should bring up that as my background. The, old, the last time you uh, wore these snap oh, the, spectacles. Oh, the, the, or the Google Glass? Oh my God! Well, no, oh it wasn't God. the Google Glass. Yeah, those aren't those are not great. We we all wore that Google Glass for like three weeks. Oh my you remember God! That? They're, I, no, no, they're I, I have a I have a couple of pair of the of the spec. How did you get that up so fast? Well, I have oh a couple of pair of those spectacles. Library. I wore them for like three days in Mexico once. But let me just read this tweet. Scoop, Snap's largest acquisition ever is Wave Optics, the maker of the AR displays that powers its new spectacle glasses. Now, remember, these spectacle glasses are not for consumers. Right now, this is just for, for creators for now, yep. for creators to see what they're creating for phones, be able to see it visually through the in an AR world through the lenses. So it's an interesting okay. kind of we talk about creator tools, Brandon, like it's sort of this is a creator tool. What what's surprising I, is they're I, buying this company for five hundred million dollars? I don't. I don't think. I don't think about it as being creator tools. I think about it as a continuum. Clearly, Evan believes in spectacles, and that one day they will be like widely used. Everyone is going to have a pair of AR glasses. What is the path from now to the point where? that technology is A, extremely useful, B, there's an app ecosystem built around it, and C, they actually look like not crazy, right? And I think that what they're doing right now is just one of the interim steps along the way. They learned when they put out the first set of snap glasses that they couldn't do it all at once and it wasn't ready. You still have those glasses, Rich? I do. I mean, I don't have them in Connecticut where I am right now, but I do have a whole drawer full of them. Yeah, we all have them. So if if anybody out there um, wants, every time I say anyone out there, I actually get a bunch of emails back, weirdly enough. If anybody out there wants a pair of these snap spectacles i am happy to sell you a pair for one thousand dollars no no <laughs> why don't you list it list it on golden auctions maybe you could sell it on golden auctions and is get it a some, like, is it a collectible demands. now oh i think those are definitely collectibles for sure so let's talk about what was actually far more interesting on snap this week was they're launching a separate app called story studio that is going to try to make it very easy to use to create better video content. So rather than just the short form snaps that you see within the snap camera, if you actually want to make a longer piece of content, vertical content that integrates AR and precision editing, they're basically building, they're, they're launching an app to make video content that you can use in Snapchat and presumably YouTube or anywhere on the web, use it and make it actually really cool and interesting with the entire array of lenses and effects. like. To me, that was the most exciting part of Snap's partner summit this week was like um, this doing is, this. In my view, this is now table stakes, right? For for having um, a social or video platform. You see what TikTok has done 
and how much they're leaning into creator tools. Um, Snap is doing amazingly innovative things um, in, in terms of product and putting, putting that in the hands of creators and allowing them to tie it together. The thing that kind of always, you know, made me wonder is why YouTube never built out amazing creator tools for, for their platform. Now, look, they're gigantic anyway, and they've, you know, succeeded and, and, you know, continue to succeed in being what they are, which is, you know, kind of straight video. Um, but, but I want to stop you because video well, but, but first of all, but, but YouTube is not really mobile video, right? Like most of the video you see on YouTube has been professional, you know, like has been semi-professionally shot, right? Like it's being shot with a better camera widescreen. Like, like this is really, tech? no, but I'm like, you're, you're <laughs> editing. I, what I, my point is you're editing in final cut pro or an iMovie. This is, if you want to create mobile only content, the, you know, that's what Snapchat's domain is, right? Mobile content. And so, right. But YouTube- there, but I think an important point is Snap is allowing for an evolution also of what that content looks like. Yes. Like whether it's, you know, AR tools or whatever, whatever other technology they're bringing to the table to advance, you know, what video means and what it looks like. YouTube has kind of just been straight down the middle, the same thing generally for a long time. Is it shorter? Is it longer? Uh, TikTok is obviously innovating um, in that capacity also. And I think we're going to look back on this as a pretty big deal for Snapchat. I mean, I haven't used the app yet. It doesn't exist yet, but I, I feel like this is going to be a very big deal for not, not just content you see in Snap, but all over the web, seeing Snapchat created content spilling into lots of places all over this seems pretty cool to me. So we'll see. Interestingly, I just got a text message um, from somebody and I'm going to read it. It, okay. it says, man, Evan Spiegel becoming the man, really hitting his stride. CNBC interview was great. And we have to give him credit. Like we always knew he was an amazing product visionary. Um, but what he's done is as he's matured as an executive, tied that to focus and execution. And I, I, I'm surprised you didn't bring up the map also and sort of the- uh, only because I was picking like the biggest thing into yeah. my mind, like the, the map, look, they continue to add businesses to the map and they're clearly moving. You know, I think you sort of believe that there's sort of a metaverse aspect to like yeah. where they're going. I, nobody, nobody is talking about snap as a metaverse player. I think that the map will also include virtual spaces um, at, at some point. Um, and it makes sense, right? They, they have totally other interactive tools. Like what is well, Bitmoji? The quote, they Bitmoji. Right, what is quote the metaverse at the end of the day? Right. And all the attributes of it, right. The building blocks, they are starting to assemble those like we took like 3d interactive, um, content, they're putting tools in the hands of creators, number yep. one. Number two, um, identity, Bitmoji, 3D Bitmoji has been slow to really take off, but they have that. And now this map is tying together real and virtual space. Right. The map is, in many regards, a... The minute the map went to the lower left. 
The minute that map went to the lower left, you knew it was the future of Snapchat. And they're just doing it day by day, piece by piece, making it more important and more useful. Let's shift gears. Walt, bring us to Leo's. Bring us to Leo's. Let's bring us to Leo. Let's hop on a SpaceX. I love how we get a lesson every week because obviously Rich and I don't don't know that much. About <laughs> and his this. intros are always and, like, "Tell yeah. us about." Tell us about. Tell right, us about. Exactly. But we're, we're we Leo. get our like weekly lesson. Uh, well, first of all, I know more about Leos. I know more about Leos this year than I've ever known about Leos in my entire life. So, like, I feel pretty good about Leos yeah, now okay. in Laurel. Well, for our podcast listeners, maybe some <laughs> new ones that are have there been new lessons to, to, that are joining us because of the discovery event leos are low earth orbiting satellites um and i'll make this brief i mean obviously there's there's some question about like oh my god how many leos can go up there and like isn't starlink just going to take all the all the opportunity and all the revenue opportunity and the reality is that there's many different applications that can be um utilized in markets that go, that these companies can go after and there was a very interesting one this week. Telesat, um, which you can buy by owning Loral stock, um, announced that they had something with Tim Brazil, which is a Brazilian wireless operator, to connect cell sites in harder reach locations with satellite backhaul. And with a Leo, what happens is your latency gets because it's closer to the Earth is a lot shorter, and the speeds are much better. So this is not a, this is not a market that um, Starlink is going after, right? They're going after consumer broadband. This is not a market that Iridium's going after. They're talking about like connectivity, connectivity, very low connectivity around the globe. But this is just an example of how Telesat finds a new revenue opportunity that that will justify the launch of their of their Leo value or their Leo constellation. He's a star man. man. We, I think, we need to use that music for you at some point. Well, the star yeah, it's funny. we're talking about leo you are our star man what's also actually now that i think about it we're talking about leos in the week that elon just destroyed the value of bitcoin <laughs> and all crypto <laughs> well i think we'll just um, skip over that topic i did get diamond eyes put on me this week though we should, i mean nice. I, that should have been your background but let, let's go to twitter launching supposedly laser well, eyes you. diamond hands know your body whatever. parts diamond eyes. <laughs> whatever i don't care um We've got uh, a tweet from Jane Manchin Wong saying Twitter is calling their upcoming subscription service Twitter Blue. No surprise with the Twitter icon being blue. Uh, priced at $2.99 a month for now, including paid features that include an undo feature. So you'll be able to undo a tweet that was sent. So instead of deleting it, you'll be able to undo it. Uh, Walter is smiling, so I can't wait to hear his view on this. I don't think the you more have to, I think you just stated it the ridiculousness of what it is. Um, yeah, I'm gonna pay to delete when I could already delete. Right. Because <laughs> it's not an edit. If it was an edit, you would feel differently. Like if you could so edit just, the tweet that was already posted, you would feel differently. So they undo, just call delete, you don't, undo. And they want to charge you that. Yes. I get that it's like, okay, it's basically giving you that pause right before you send it. That's what they're trying to do. Like they're pausing before you retweet something, right? Have you read this yet? Retweet it. So this is the, basically the same thing, but why am I paying for that? 
But the other thing that you're paying for supposedly is to bookmark collections. So if you think about Instagram where you can sort of add your Instagrams to a certain collection, or if you think about Pinterest where you can pin to a board, right now all you can do is save to all bookmarks. They're going to say you can create separate categories for $2.99. I'm not sure why that's a paid feature. I mean, it certainly is an obvious feature to add. Why they're charging for it, I don't honestly know. I would love it. Take a step back, Rich. We've all, and a lot of investors, because of some of the monetization issues that Twitter has had, especially you know, on advertising, have been clamoring for subscriptions, small kind of yep. micro level subscriptions. They're being aggressive um, in rolling that out. Or, or um, actually, in all I, products, actually, in all products, they're being aggressive, right? And iterating. I, I, I want to say I got a notification now that I can collect um, tips. Uh, oh. Yes. For for my tweets, I haven't received any. Maybe I'll tip you. Quality. Well, how do I know how to tip you? Twitter feed. Ha, have you ever tweeted? Yeah, I oh, tweet. Rich, <laughs> can I, I've can been I just... getting I've been getting more into tweeting um, lately. Sorry, like, I just Twitter I could, followers you, you are set up twenty percent in the last three weeks or something. So I don't know. I I'm just gun shy on Twitter. I don't know why. Like, but half of those followers, those new followers, are just AMC trolls that are trying to convince you oh, to it's, like turn. It's your... absolutely, completely Can I just... insane what's going on with the uh, AMC and Fubo trolls. Anyone wants to check out the mentions of Rich Rich Greenfield on Twitter, you will see some very colorful. Um, uh, pictorial and video creation. Yes, very wonderful stuff. So, can I just ask one question about the undo yes. again, just to really? Yes, go back, go undo. Yep. So, um, let's say we're on a dish conference call, and Charlie Ergen says something kind of really funny, like, uh, well, "What did he say last time about the Grinch?" And I want to get that tweet out about his Grinch quote before anyone, so I can be the first to tweet out with the Grinch. If I don't pay for um, Twitter Blue. My thing doesn't have that little timeline that allows me to undo it. So my tweet goes out before yours. So isn't paying for the undo tweet effectively just delaying your tweets going out and adding extra latency into your tweets getting out? Uh, I need to see how it functionally works to know that. I'm not sure. Because if it doesn't and it just goes out, then it's truly just a delete. If it's just, okay, I'm just adding a 30 seconds to give you. to. to I will say when I delete a tweet, though, it does show tweet deleted. I wonder if an undo won't show that. Like, will there be nothing? Like, will it actually, like if somebody retweets an undone tweet, what happens? That as might told, be the answer. As I've, as I've told my, uh, my children many times, there is no delete button on the internet. Apple rolled out a new ad this week for the ATT. Actually, I saw the pop-up in Twitter saying, would you like to be followed? And Twitter trying to explain why you'll see better ads um, if you click allow, as every app is eventually going to have to do this on iOS. But Apple rolled out an ad. That I'm not going to play the whole ad. I just took a couple of screenshots of essentially everybody around you sitting next to you um, being able to see what you're doing. And then the second photo below is when basically everyone is vaporized because nobody can see what you're doing. So the, obviously the view is just, this is Apple's way of showing that everyone is looking at you. And if you click don't allow, nobody can look at what you're doing on your phone. Now they certainly don't explain that the end result is going to be less well-targeted ads, but they are certainly playing as you have repeatedly talked about the, the PR war, Walt, of they are playing to a very easy to understand argument of you're being tracked, we can help you. Yeah, like that is Apple's rallying cry. 
Yeah, I think it's going to be appreciated by customers. Well, I don't know if it's enough to to shift share, but um, clearly people are, um, many people, including myself, are creeped out that when you talk about a product, um, it all of a sudden appears in your Instagram feed or your Facebook feed. And I think consumers generally feel uh, helpless in, and they've given up in trying to protect their privacy. Um, the downside, I think, that you've argued is that my my uh, the ads that I'm going to get are going to be less targeted, so I won't get ads targeted at me. I don't necessarily. We'll see if that's true, um, but that's not Apple's problem. <laughs> so if the ads aren't as targeted, then that person is just going to use whatever that app is less. And I'm not sure they're switching because I think again people are creeped out by the level of targeting. Many many people are creeped out and feel helpless. Like I said, in terms of this, so we'll see how this well, the- plays out. The interesting thing is a reporter actually saw me tweet about this earlier in the week and responded, I've been hitting not allow on every single app. And the ads he said he's getting on those apps are actually still quite good and well-targeted. And so what's going to be interesting is, does that begin to shift? Because obviously there's a lot of data that's pent up over the last yeah, 12 I was, months. Yeah, I was going to say, so, yeah. So <laughs> it's not so much about what happens but today, like, tomorrow. It's going to take time to work its way through the system. I guess, but it's not like advertisers forgot how to advertise. Like if I'm if I'm watching some sports things, they're not going to serve me things that are not related to the the demographic of the, of the app that you're in. So like this concept that it's going to suddenly have, you're going to have these horrible ads. Well- uh, I, I find that hard th- to believe. There's there's some just really good examples, right? Okay. And especially for um, some of these e-com players that are built on the back of Shopify. Mm-hmm. Like I get the ad for a very, like a Sixers Grateful Dead t-shirt, right? Yep. Like hyper targeted. And I'm like, fuck, I want that t-shirt, right? Yep. Or am I getting those ads in the future if I, if, you know, I'm not allowing ID tracking for my device. I don't know. Might be getting you might be getting mouth wash ads because it's just a generic ad targeting. I, it, you know. Obviously, it's shades of gray. So, like, how much? Um, how much are the? You know, quality of ads. Sorry, my microphone dropped there for a second. Um, going to dissipate. Look, we're going to find out because you know what Apple doesn't tell you is it doesn't get rid of advertising, right? Like advertising is not going away from Facebook or Google or any other place. You know, when you open up Zynga games, like you're not getting rid of ads. This is just going to be less targeted. It's it's basically going to be going back like seven or eight years. Theoretically, we'll see what actually happens. It's just going to make ads less good. That's all. Do people actually care? I mean, my guess is you don't stop using Instagram because the ads are less well-targeted. You may buy less things. But Certainly, you're going to buy less things, and this certainly hurts again those ecom players. Mostly, you know, those are small businesses, right? That it, that have been uh, built on the back of Shopify and Instagram and Facebook. Um, you know, they're gonna they're gonna get hurt. Here's a thought: maybe getting stuff advertised that's not super targeted to you gives you a little bit more diversity of your views of products and maybe someone actually you know gets sold something that they wouldn't normally have the purchased. advertising filter imagine bubble? that is that what you're is yeah. that what you're calling imagine for? that and rich, you, and rich you can't flip-flop on this because you, you can't like go full on like oh my god like you're going to start getting like an ad for you know women's blouses or whatever it is and then say like oh no the ads are not going to be good enough to stop 
um, using Instagram. It's one or the other. You can't be dramatic about saying like you're going to get these terrible ads because if that's true, then maybe you will stop using a particular app. So what? Which which is it? Well, it, it also Ooh. may just be you. It may be that you just transact less off of the ads. Like the the value of the ad slot may go down. Like it actually may hurt the value of advertising. I guess so. But you've talked more about in the and, past about it, Instagram. The ads are so good and they fit within yes. the you know. Okay. If the ads are less good, it you cuts may, both ways. Yeah, right? it does. We'll see. Uh, let's shift On to Spotify to the next. Well, Spotify restructuring or, you know, sounds like appointing a new Hollywood head. This is Lucas Shaw. Spotify is restructuring its podcasting business and looking for a Hollywood executive to oversee its studio. Look, there's no doubt that Spotify's made a lot of moves in podcasting. Uh, You know, they've got about 25% of Spotify monthly users are interacting with podcasts. But I think it's pretty fair to say uh, and we did, you know, we we did a meeting with Apple recently, Walt. Like it's it's pretty clear that Apple is still by far the dominant player in podcasting, and Spotify still hasn't figured out how to move, you know, m- you know how to get to m- you know becoming the largest place. They are clearly the largest place for subscription streaming of music. They are not the largest place for podcast listening, and I think that is their goal over the next few years to be the winner in podcasting in terms of where you listen to podcasts. And that's going to require more exclusives, things you can't get anywhere else other than on Spotify. And I think that's why this role is being sought. So is the Joe Rogan deal a fail then? Because I don't remember um, after Sirius signed up Howard Stern having this type of restructuring issue and having to get more things. Like when Howard Stern went to Sirius, Bam, game over. Tons of subs came over. Am I misremembering that? Um, I think that's probably fair. Is that I don't think it's a foul. I think it hasn't moved the needle maybe as much as might have been expected. Um, you know, and I'm we don't, don't we don't know. we don't know though, because Joe Rogan is still only one part of a very, very large strategy, right? And I, well, you, I mean, you well let's let's frame it. it. You can't pin this all on on one guy. But look. I mean that that was the hype when he was signed up. Oh my God, this is like the dramatic changing right, point. Right, this, right. you know, so the like again, this was the, the Howard Stern moment. I said that you can't. Yeah. Well, you weren't the only one, Brandon. Like you can't just pretend that that didn't happen. <laughs> like so, relative to that initial reaction, is it a fail or not? It sounds like it's a fail. I think it is underperformed relative to the amount of market share. What you know, like in Q4, Joe Rogan went exclusive, exclusive to Spotify in Q4. In Q1 the same percentage of podcast listeners, you know, percentage of total MAUs of Spotify were listening to podcasts. It wasn't like 25% of podcast listeners went up to 40%. Like it wasn't like there was a dramatic. Now he was non-exclusive before Q4. So maybe a lot of people already migrated, but look, I think it's a fair criticism that it probably didn't generate as much pull as they had hoped. And it is going to take, it's going to take a more diverse array of content to break Apple's control of podcast listening. Well, you I, think- I mean, of course it was going to anyway though, right? I mean, what this is a global product first of all, right? That is meant to reach hundreds of millions of people and Joe Rogan's appeal was always single digit millions of people, right? Just so like let's, you know, he's important, but let's you know, kind of. It's fine, but I, my question is like, forget about the reaction. Did management, when when Rogan was hired, did they 
kind of set the expectation. I just, this is a non sequitur, but I just remember when Verizon dumped 40 or 60 megahertz of spectrum in their network, the speeds went through the roof. But management was really good about saying, like, look, guys, like, don't expect this to be the world changer because, like, within yeah, a year, that's, people- but that's like way more. Im- like immediately impactful, right? Because when you change, when you put those megahertz into the spectrum, uh, uh, spectrum into, into thing, everyone's service is going to improve. Like, I don't follow this as closely as you do. I just remember a shit ton of hype when he, when he, and and, yeah, no, you're right. So now you have, now the hype has to be answered for, because here we are and it hasn't been delivered on. And and there's, and there's other aspects of sort of that vertical stack of podcasting that have underperformed i think anchor has been one of them that we've talked about um which is uh, why they bought megaphone and uh, and they're continuing exactly and they're continuing to iterate and trying to figure it out um but you know it's it's a complicated issue (laughs) and that's that I assume, Brandon, that Netflix is not creating the next um, mobile well, gaming company. We haven't, but have we actually read any of the tweets this week? Uh, <laughs> I, we actually have read them. I just, like read, I, just, I just read Lucas Shaw, so could okay, you read okay. this one? Okay, this is from Martin Piers. Netflix is looking to hire a gaming executive to ramp up its gaming efforts, exclusive by, quote, Scoop, Jay Tunkel and... Jessica Tunkel. Yeah, I know. Jessica and and Nick. Okay. Um, Everybody assumes this is Netflix getting into, one, making video games, or two, um, a subscription of games, of cloud-based games. My belief is that Netflix realizes that, and this kind of gets back to the discussion about Snap that we had earlier. The the metaverse comment. Yeah, but the endpoint of video is not the linear on-demand video that we see now that everyone's trying to win at. I think Netflix realizes that video is going to evolve with time. They've and get more interactive. They've experimented with Bandersnatch, and they're probably bringing in um, executives to think about what the next way to tell stories in video is. And we, as you know, a lot of people know, we've, we've believed in this evolution of video of things becoming much more interactive. It's why all three of us are invested in GenVid, um, who, if, if you know the, uh, the quote game rival peak is sort of bridging, um, the interactive media world, uh, the gaming world with the linear video world. And I think that's going to happen a lot more as time goes on. And that's what Netflix is thinking about. Not necessarily, you know, trying to not gaming the way we play a game. Video. We're, we're not playing, right. we're not doing their version of candy crush is, is a misread. Yes. Or call of duty or or anything like that. That's my guess. Obviously, we have no inside knowledge. Um, but yeah, video is going to be a lot different than what it is. VOD is not the end game. I'm going to read this and then you can talk about it. Um, just to give you a break from talking sports. Actually, you just got a text related to this also. Okay. So WWE will return to live events on the road, beginning with a 25 city schedule beginning on July 16th in Houston. The outlet has held all events in either Orlando or Tampa St. Pete since the start of the pandemic. 
Yeah. So we're back. Yeah, we're back. I think let's start with WWE specifically, and then we'll kind of generalize it to what's going on in live entertainment for WWE specifically. I think the midpoint of their guidance kind of implied a beginning of Q3 start um, to touring. So that was their base case anyway. Um, good to see that it's actually coming to fruition. There's certainly questions um, about what that will mean for television ratings. We've discussed, you know, WWE is reaction entertainment and the value of the live audience, but obviously they've had other issues that have held ratings down too. So the ratings question is number one. Number two is I got this actually text from Brandon Thurston um, from WrestleNomics who, you know, pretty anyone who's interested in the business of wrestling should probably subscribe to his Patreon or, um, or whatever. But he says, big question now is whether they can cram in one or two Saudi events before the year is over. And that's actually the big, everyone knows they get paid a lot more on those Saudi events than anything else. And that's going to probably be the swing factor on, um, um, on their numbers this year. Now, getting to what's going on in live entertainment, holy shit! The well, why don't you why don't you well, why don't you contrast it to what's going on right now with MSG? Right? Okay, it, it all sort of okay. plays in. Uh, well, here's okay. Uh, this is from Ian Bagley, another friend who writes MSG Sports announces that games one and two of Knicks Hawks are both sold out at 15,000 capacity. Whoever, you know, everyone said like, oh, New York is behind in reopening. Well, there you go. <laughs> Not for indoor arena capacity. James Dolan, quote, this overwhelming response by Knicks fans, almost 90 percent of whom are vaccinated, should silence any doubters. It's time to start booking events and filling up our schedules. Well, the industry in general has you know taken a cue every fucking day there is another show announcement tour announcement and they are selling out you know as we said they were going to in record time i think acl austin city limits went on sale yesterday sold out yeah. two weekends in three hours as everyone knows i've been trying to buy tickets you know for fish tour or whatever it is literally everyone knows you're a fish fan. No, I, no I, I don't know yeah, exactly. It, it is literally impossible to get tickets. They they put on sale yesterday. Um, uh, these the like super like VIP packages, which come with hotels um, for for Vegas that are like two thousand four hundred dollars. OK, and Live Nation's back up to 90. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And we could talk about how numbers are far too low there anyway. Anyway, um, for these packages, they literally crashed the server and they had to take everything off sale at $2,400 per to see fish in Vegas, not including airfare. Um, that's where we're at. I think uh, there's still a enormous underestimation of what this industry is going to look like next year and throw in sort of the acceleration in digital ticketing and what it means to, for instance, in venues for everyone to be ordering their food and beverages in advance and just going to pick them up like you might do with the Toast app now and how much per caps are going to go through the roof. And by the way, that also benefits uh, sports teams like you know, the Knicks, I guess, are the public one um, with MSJ. So, Walter, wrap us up. What are we looking at? 
Well, this could go into the bucket of <clears throat> targeted ads, <clears throat> although it's not. I follow this account, Super 70 Sports, on the Twitter. And it has a picture of a, an old wagon from the 70s. And it said, when you learn to parallel park in this motherfucker, you can walk Whoa. this earth fearing no man. And I'm just reading the tweet, Brandon. It's okay. Oh, okay. So, but for those I on the podcast, it's like a Mercury. I don't even remember what the brand is, but I actually, this was our family wagon. And when I moved um, to New York City and, and or Hoboken first for a couple of months and then New York City, I, in fact, did park parallel park this in Hoboken, which at people, many people know is, is horrible parking. And then on the west side, I parallel parked this guy every day as I was commuting to uh, Nextel at the time was in Rutherford, New Jersey. So, yes, that was a route three, I, baby. I guess Rich is playing. Oh, that's some actually music. a great. That's a great music outro because yeah, that's what I Rich, feel like. I feel like I'm the fucking king because right. I parallel parked. Rich is uh, playing the the Game of Thrones um, music wow. now. I guess that bookends with the Discovery Channel song and and kind of puts it all together. I thought that we should do the wire wow. throw down in a hole for uh, for Jason, but uh, that's that's probably well. It was sort of a red wedding, right? Like this was sort of an execution and a move forward. I mean, this is this I mean, definitely felt David, like an episode David, of no, Game of Dave, Thrones. David won, absolutely won the Game of Thrones. He started with that, you know, doing it like they do on the Discovery Channel content and now controls some of the most iconic IP in addition to everything else. And, you know. Is the real red wedding going to be everyone that Jason takes with him when he departs? Well, I mean, oh, that's a great question. Did, well, I, I will year, say in this: the year that it takes to close this. I, I will say this. Maybe turn down the music for a little. Oh, I break. like it. I like okay. it. Okay. No, the the thing that I want to say is David on our interview didn't seem overly concerned about that. He seems to have a lot of confidence in the team that built Discovery Plus. Yeah, AT&T wasn't and concerned was about like, yeah, whatever. Time Warner either. Or the fact that DirecTV was peaking in terms of their subs. That's, That's episode, episode 57. 57. See you next week. Jinx. <laughs> Bye.